0: And this morning we'll read verses 22 through 36. And this is the second part of what Peter is saying uh, at the, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit has come on the disciples as we uh, continue to make our way through Acts here. And, and the charge against them was they were brought in all these foreign languages and, and people were hearing them, but it sounded like nonsense to some, and so they were accused of being drunk, and, and Peter said, no, this is the Holy Spirit, and, and uh, we talked last week about that, the response, uh, the Holy Spirit, the God is pouring out on his people in these last days, as he says in verse 17, and then he continues uh, with what he's saying here, and he'll focus on Jesus. And so, this is Peter speaking here, this first sermon, if you will, on the day of Pentecost, and and this is the the second part of it. It's Acts chapter 2, I'll begin at verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst... that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus who you crucified. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that you give us, these men who have spoken it and, and that it has been written down, that we may learn from it today. And as we look at this, we ask that you will speak to our hearts and encourage and strengthen us in your truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Last week when Peter started uh, this sermon or this speech that he gives, that in ancient times this is what they did. Uh, This was, of course, long before phones and TVs and any of that. uh, they would hear speeches and, and speak publicly, but, but there was some pressure involved with that. The speakers that spoke without training or without any direction were uh, pretty much disdained. Something and make it good. Otherwise, we're going to boo you off the stage, basically, uh, is what they would do. So, Peter needs to come up with something. And when we look at what he comes up with, there's actually three things I want to point out before we actually start looking at it. I mentioned last week that what we have is a chiasm and then a chiasm within that chiasm. and, And I love Chiasm's, Uh, but also we're going to see it another way too. I want to point out the chiasm's, and I'll do this uh, usually because I like to see how they work. A chiasm starts with a point, makes another point, keeps working out, comes to that hinge or that turning point, and then works himself back in. And when you do it that way, you can kind of see what his point is and that turning hinge in his argument and. And so very quickly, uh, I want to look at the big chiasm here. And, and let me just point it out to you. In, at the beginning, in, in verse 22 and then 23, he starts with men of Israel, and then this charge that you crucified Jesus. That's at the end of verse 23. Now when he jumped to the end of this passage, at verse 36, you will notice some of the same things. Let all the house of Israel therefore know And then he talks about Jesus, who you crucified. So that's that's his uh, starting and ending point. But if you move in a little bit then, the, the next thing he says is in verse 24 that God raised him up. And you'll notice that in verse 32, this Jesus, God raised up. If you move in one more step, in verse 25, you'll see David says concerning him, and then Uh, When you get to verse 27, that you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. And you jump down to verse 31, and there it is again, uh, that he foresaw, David foresaw, as we're speaking of, but there is that phrase again, did not abandon the Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Move in one more step. And... You, in verse 28, you have made known to me the paths of life and and full of gladness. And and in verse 30, this is the one that's a a little, uh, you have to use your imagination a little bit, but uh, that God had sworn this oath that one of his descendants would be on his throne. And, And that's what fills him with this gladness. And then in the middle of all this, in the hinge there, is this idea that David died. David died and is still in his tomb. That, that's the hinge, and then he starts working himself back out to Jesus again. So that's the big chiasm, and we'll keep that in mind just a little bit. There's a smaller chiasm. This one requires a little bit more imagination. Sometimes I think I just imagine these on my own, and, and I'm not doing this just to bore you. There's a the point uh, for these chiasms, but uh, the, the smaller one. Uh, It starts in verse 23 with the idea of you crucified, uh, but uh, in verse 31, uh, he was not abandoned. And then when you move a little bit, God raised him up and and also in verse 31, a little closer is this idea of the resurrection. Uh, David said concerning him in verse uh, 25 and, and then in verse 31 also right at the very beginning that he foresaw and spoke, David did. Uh, In verse 29, we get the idea that David died, uh, but in verse 30, one of his descendants would carry on the throne, and then in the middle of that, uh, if you look at this little chiasm, would be this idea that David is a prophet, and he knows something, and he'll point to Jesus. So, so there's my chiasm and my chiasm within the chiasm, and now, there's a third way to look at this, and certainly know, because we know these first three things. And let me just uh, put those out there for you. In verse 22, we know this. God did great works through Jesus. A man attested to you by God in that these mighty works and wonders that you yourselves know. We know that. In verse 29, here's the second thing we know. David is dead. With great confidence, I can tell you that, because we can walk to his tomb and see for ourselves. The third thing we can know, Jesus is not dead in verse 32, and we're all witnesses of that. And we'll get to these ideas as we build on this. But all of those, those things that we know, leads to the, what we know for certain in verse 36. We can know for certain that God has made him Lord and Christ. This speech is complex, yet... Very simple to understand. It's logical and it's airtight, and it hits the mark. I mean, Paul, right? excuse me, Peter really knocks this one out of the park because it hits his mark in verse thirty-seven uh, that we'll get to next week. But you notice that they're cut to the heart. They, they can't argue with Peter at all in what he's saying here. And so let's let's take a look at these things that sets up, these things that we know, and he starts uh, with this, uh, men of Israel, hear these words, and this is uh, what ancient speakers would often do, to invite their hearers to keep listening, put a little pressure on yourself here,
1: you got to hear what I'm
0: going to say, because this is important, And, and so he invites the listeners to keep hearing, then he talks about this Jesus, as we mentioned, Jesus of Nazareth that the Father, God, the Father has made known to you because he did some things that we can all attest to. The Gospels are full of phrases like great crowds were following Jesus. The miracles he was doing that no one else had done before, blind receiving their sight. People who had been paralyzed for 30 plus years walking and and he he was very public in many of these miracles. Among them were probably some that, that may have eaten when he had just a few fish and a couple of loaves and thousands eggs from that. And then the, 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 the thing that topped it off was Lazarus, whom many knew was dead, and Jesus brought him back to life. In fact, that was the tipping point for the religious leaders. They said, wait a minute, too many people just saw what happened here. And if they... If they believe Lazarus is alive, and there he is, then they'll start to believe that he really is the Messiah. And that really is what led to Jesus' death as these religious leaders were getting worried. Too public. Too many people are seeing what he's doing. And that when he wrote in on Palm Sunday, a multitude was crying out, Hosanna of the highest, the son of the here's here's the king, the, the son of David. They they knew he was and so he said you know this and they they do know this to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God now this is God's will and purpose and and the Father's purpose in this is to glorify Jesus and save his people as Jesus told his disciples that this had to happen that repentance and forgiveness would be in my name God is doing it to glorify But but the people who are are guilty of calling out for his crucifixion, uh, it says you you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, Uh, they're still responsible for their actions, they were looking to eliminate. ways, you were rejecting God, and i the way, lost, because God raised him up, and now raising up, by the way, is further proof of what Peter is getting at here, now remember, this audience that Peter is speaking to, they are, they're Jewish people, devout Jewish people, and the writings of King David and the life of King David as, as this great king and as this prophet, they're really indisputable. They know all about David. And so Peter uh, starts talking a little bit about David. David said concerning the I saw the Lord always before me, and there's a, a lot in, in what uh, he says in these next few verses. Uh, it's actually from Psalm one, or I'm sorry, Psalm sixteen, uh, verses eight through eleven. It's a psalm of of David, and the focus for our purpose and and what Peter really gets at is verse twenty seven. That David said, "You will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your holy one see corruption." Now in Psalm sixteen, David uses the word. Sheol, You will not abandon my soul to Sheol, uh, Hades and Sheol. It's the place of the dead. You won't leave me, Dad. Is basically what David is saying. And the immediate, the immediate fulfillment of that was David was actually running from some enemies. He did that a few times in his life. And, and the immediate fulfillment of that is that he didn't die at the time. He didn't escape. And then he lived through that. Why, as uh, Peter points out, David was prophesying. David, he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. First Kings chapter 2 talks about where they buried David, as did uh, 2 Chronicles, that is 32. Also, uh Nehemiah, after the exile, uh, when they came back, Nehemiah mentions the tomb of David as actually a, a marking point. They, they built the wall after the tomb of, of David, who did some restoration there. They knew where it was in the first century, they knew where that tomb was. The ancient historian Josephus talks about how it was uh, plundered a couple of times. Actually, people went in there to, to steal what they could, so they all knew where this tomb was. And obviously, David's body has seen corruption, he's not the fulfillment of. Peter continues, he's a prophet, and knowing that that God had sworn an oath to him that one of his descendants would sit on his throne. And this is a really neat thing for Peter to put in here because that actually comes from uh, 2 Samuel 7. God makes this promise. uh, When your days are fulfilled, there will be one of your offspring after you, and, and it's his kingdom. And that actually gets recounted in Psalm 132, And that's what's called a song of ascent, or a song of ascent. And they would sing these songs, uh, the Jewish people would, when they would ascend to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is on a hill. And so when they would come to Jerusalem, especially for these uh, pilgrimage-type festivals, which Pentecost is, they would sing these songs. And so when Peter brings this up about one of David's descendants on the throne, there were probably quite a few in the crowd thinking, I was just singing that the other day. I was singing that on my way here. I don't tell you what you're talking about. Yeah, David's going to have one of his descendants sit on the throne forever. they had probably just been singing about it. And he continues, David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ. That he was not abandoned. Nor did his flesh see corruption. David was not writing about himself writing about this Christ. And and notice there, he calls him the resurrection of the Christ. The resurrection of this Messiah. This one who was to come. And that the hearers know who he's going to point to. As do we. We've read the passage. And he's said the name before, actually, already. Who is the Christ. Who is this one? In verse 32, this Jesus. This Jesus. This very one that you were opposing. The one who was raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Of course, the, the apostles were witnesses and, and the disciples. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes that uh, over 500 people saw Jesus at one at a time, but there's also something here, and I usually don't do this, there's also something not being said. I don't often argue from the point of silence because sometimes I can go bad and you go in wrong directions and your imagination takes over. But I think it's worth our time to just notice what's not being said at this point. You just talk about the two of David. Nobody brought up, well, let's go to the tomb of Jesus. They all know he's not there. Buying information. Everybody knew what the tomb of Jesus was. In fact, the Jewish leaders, after Jesus was buried, they went to the Roman officials and they said, Give us a guard that we can guard this tomb because we're afraid the disciples are going to come and steal and say that he's going to come alive. And so the Romans knew where it was. The Jewish leaders knew where it was. Of course, all the apostles and disciples didn't know where it is. But nobody mentions that because they know it's out there. You're saying we all know this is something we know. But having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured this out. This is why we're speaking in different languages. This is why we're doing what we're doing because Christ sent it into Adam. It's now uh, received this promise. The Father said that there was this promise of the Holy Spirit and that Christ is pouring it out and that's what you're seeing. That's what you're hearing right now. And they would perform miracles and, and do things as that early church started to grow. And something else that uh, we should note, in the Old Testament it was God himself who would pour out a nod to Jesus' need to be here. Only God pours out the Holy Spirit. And if that's not enough, he comes up with more. It's all part of the connexive here as he works his way back to Jesus. David didn't ascend into heaven, but he says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Um, He was basically saying, now what do we do with Psalm 110? That's, That's where that comes from. Because once again, we know that's not David. David's in his So, what do we do with that It's Christ. It's Christ. He said, Add this all together. Add together all these things we know. Add what we know about King David, plus the things you saw Jesus do, plus the things you're seeing right now in hearing these different languages. And here's our son, verse 36, let all the house of Israel know therefore certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. The only way to make sense of David, the only way to make sense of Jesus' life, the only way to make sense of what's happening at Pentecost is that Jesus is Lord and Christ completely mentioned earlier, in verse 37. I'm they, they are cut to the heart. But the reason they're cut to the heart is, is, notice something else in there, is the directness of Peter's sermon here. You, the word you in verse 32 and, and uh, I'm sorry, in verse 22 and 23. These things you saw and yet you crucified. You basically rejected Jesus here at the end again. You crucified him. The Father has been very clear about who Jesus is in the Old Testament. He's been very clear about it in Jesus' life. He was very clear about it in the resurrection. And he's clear about it in the exaltation. And remember, these are devout Jews. If you go back to verse 5, These are not rabble-rousers and troublemakers and guys just looking to do bad things. These are devout Jews trying to please God, and yet Peter has told them, in opposing Jesus, you have been opposing God. other way of of pointing out some things and and coming to that final point and that's basically a a micro illustration if you will of of all of scripture and that is this that no matter how you look at scripture if you are true and honest in your search of scripture it will lead to the centrality of Christ and his lordship, and his salvation. And we've got a bunch of people who will manipulate scripture, and Christ almost ends up as a side note or a footnote somewhere. But any true and honest look at scripture that doesn't have Christ at the center has missed the point of the Old Testament, missed the point of the New Testament, and missed the point of what the Spirit is saying in the true church today. Christ is Lord and King. It's told the disciples: when the Spirit comes, he will testify about me. The Spirit continues. Jesus, <laughs> you